Pastor Steve, thank you for the opportunity to uh, share the word. Uh, thank you for your leadership and your friendship over these last few years, walking alongside us, you and Sheena, and this church body. We're so thankful for you uh, coming alongside us, supporting us, praying for us. Uh, you are a, a tremendous blessing to us and, and encouragement. I'm so thankful. Bethany and I are so thankful for you. My passage today is going to be on Ephesians chapter 6. So if you will turn in your Bibles, uh, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Before we, we read our passage, I want to share with you a short story. On August 16, 2002, a team of 22 U.S. special operators were maneuvering on the ground in an Afghan valley. They had just uh, been hunting a high-profile target, a terrorist. This is not long after 9-11. The team was, on the, was really on edge. They knew that uh, they just had an uneasy feeling about this mission. They, they felt like they were being watched as they maneuvered through the valley. And um, it was a dark night. And uh, thousands of feet above them, uh, flying overhead, a thick layer of clouds, beautiful evening, stars were out, uh, was Air Force pilot Captain Mike Drowley, or better known as Johnny Bravo by his call sign. He was enjoying the peaceful night uh, with the stars in full view, and Johnny Bravo and his wingman were circling above the valley in their A-10 Warthog. Aircraft. So the A-10 is uh, provides close combat support for soldiers on the ground. So they were there if the team on the ground needed them. Now, the A-10 is not a fighter plane; it's uh, it's an attack aircraft. And so, ideally, the A-10 pilot likes to have visual contact with the troops on the ground that he's supporting, like being able to see one another. They can kind of gives each other some reassurance um, and confidence. However, the thick clouds. Uh, the dark night and the mountainous terrain prevented the uh, two parties from seeing one another that night. So the only way the pilot and the troops uh, really even knew that each other was there was uh, through the radio contact that they had. And so Johnny Bravo couldn't see what the operators could see, but he could sense uh, their uneasiness. He could feel it through the radio traffic that he was hearing. He could feel the anxiety. And so what he heard on the radio prompted Johnny Bravo to, to act. Uh, Simon Sinek, in his book, Leaders Eat Last, explained what happened next. Johnny Bravo decided to go ahead and descend through the clouds uh, and conduct what, what the Air Force calls a military letdown. And this meant he would drop below the, crowd, the clouds so he could see what was happening on the ground. And it was a daring move because in this part of Afghanistan, uh, you've got the Hindu Kush Mountains, very treacherous terrain, and it per, per, had a lot of narrow corridors in this valley. And there were storms in the area as well. So Johnny Bravo's field of vision uh, would be restricted also by his night vision goggles. So Johnny Bravo was typically told not to carry out this high-risk maneuver, but Johnny Bravo was not like most pilots. He knew the men on the ground needed him to perform the weather letdown, and for Johnny Bravo, that meant that it was the right thing for him to do. So while he prepared to execute the maneuver and drop down through the clouds, he heard the words crackle over the radio, troops in contact. And this meant that those soldiers on the ground those operators on the ground were engaging the enemy. So while Johnny finished diving through the clouds, he was less than a thousand feet off the ground flying in this valley. Now in 2002, keep in mind this is 16 years ago, so the avionics aren't as advanced as they are now. Uh, they couldn't prevent him from slamming into a mountain. Johnny Bravo had to rely 
further on old Soviet maps left over from the Soviet-Afghan war in the 1980s, which may or may not have been accurate. So as Johnny Bravo threw through the valley, he trained his guns on the enemy where he could see large amounts of fire originating. And so he would count one 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000 until he ran out of room. And then he would pull down on the stick and into the clouds to avoid colliding with the mountain. So Johnny Bravo, you know, as he initially um, performed these maneuvers and engaged where he thought the, the enemy was, he was wondering if his actions are having an effect. And suddenly the traffic crackled over the radio. Good hits. Good hits. Keep it coming. So Johnny Bravo made another run and another run and another run. He was good on fuel and providing effective fire. The problem was that he had now run out of ammunition. So Johnny Bravo went back up into the clouds, brought his wingman down, cued him on the situation, brought him up to speed, and he did the counting while his partner uh, provided the fire support. So on cue, the planes pulled their high G turns and disappeared into the clouds. Then they would drop down again. Over and over, they repeated this process. And that night, 22 operators went home alive. There were no American casualties. We need the kind of courage that Johnny Bravo had and was willing to engage in spiritual battle. And we are like those soldiers on the ground that summer night. We need the same strength that Johnny Bravo was able to provide those operators. We need a hero who is willing to descend through the clouds and come to earth to battle the scourge of sin and defeat the enemy. And so before I, I read from God's Word, I want to ask you to do something. I want you to think about one very real and present battle or struggle that you are facing in your life right now, or maybe a family member or a close friend that you know they are facing. And I want you to think about it. And I want you to think, um, to look, and I want to ask you to look it in the eye and give it a name. And it could be a struggle with temptation. It could be struggle with a fear, an addiction. Maybe you're struggling to forgive um, there's a broken relationship, whatever it is. I don't know the particulars of your, your struggle, but God does. And God has, um, he has a message that you need to hear today, or maybe a friend or family member needs to hear today, and he knows the battle that's being fought. And I want you to keep that in the back of your mind for this moment. And this morning, we're going to see that it is in the very nature of God to supply the strength and protection we need to fight the battles that are before us. So our scripture focus this morning is on Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And this is Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. Um, we're going to fast forward through the, the, fir- the first part of the book and really just kind of wind up with, with Paul's final um, instructions for the Ephesians, his closing comments. So hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's word? Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I ask these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So what we see in this text is we see the Apostle Paul instructing the Ephesians to conduct some pre-combat checks. Because God is eternal, His Word is eternal, and God commanded the Ephesians to prepare themselves for battle, and He commands us to prepare for battle today. And to do that, we must don our mission essential gear, or armor of God, to prepare for the spiritual battles and rely on His strength to deliver the victory through obedience, faithfulness, perseverance, and prayer. And so I want what I want you to recognize today is that you can be spiritually victorious if you conduct your pre-combat checks, which include donning the mission essential gear, and if you rely on God's strength to deliver the victory. So, how do Christians achieve victory? By following the commands of our leader. In this passage, the Apostle Paul views the Ephesian Christians as frontline soldiers. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he provides his final commands to the Ephesian Christians ahead of the battle that he knows they will face. And so the first of Paul's commands he gives to the Ephesians, we find in verse 10. In verse 10, Paul writes, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. Now, I think the temptation for a lot of us when we look at this passage of Scripture, and this passage of Scripture is probably familiar to a lot of us, is to just kind of accelerate past this verse and get right to the armor. I mean, that's that's cool. What what armor are we going to get to put on here? But we need to take a tactical pause, as we would say in the military. We need to spend a little bit of time here because this is really important. This is where it begins. This is where you begin to put on the full armor of God. And you do that by first putting your strength in the Lord. Now, this theme of God being our strength is really interwoven throughout Scripture. We see in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 30, that the Lord goes before us into battle. The Lord is a warrior, and He's going to fight our battles for us. We also see in uh, Psalm 18 that David calls the Lord his strength. He said, I love you, Lord, my strength. He refers to him as his rock, his fortress. The theme of the whole psalm is God demonstrating loyalty and faithfulness, protection, and utterly destroying David's enemies. In Psalm 28, David calls the Lord his strength and shield. And in Psalm 46, the sons of Korah refer to God as their refuge and strength. You know, Johnny Bravo brought strength to those operators on the ground that they could not bring on their own. Now, these operators are the most elite military uh, men, men in our country, yet they still needed a higher power, um, and they had to rely on that to deliver the strength that they needed. In the same way, we can rely on God's strength for the battles we face. So what is the battle that you face? What would it look like if you relied on God's strength? take on that struggle. Now, I want you to keep in mind that God is undefeated. He provides strength for Joshua, 
David, Paul, I mean, throughout Scripture, he provides strength. Paul became the greatest ambassador for Christ the world has ever known. And God, the Son, through Jesus, defeated sin and death for us. So you can draw strength from the Lord because you can trust His character. You can trust what He has done. You can tap into His unlimited arsenal. Not only can you remember that your strength for the battle comes from the Lord, but you can you should also go into battle wearing your mission essential gear. And we see this in verses 11, 13 through 17. So Christians must suit up with all mission essential gear to stand against the enemy. Now, I think there's a tendency, at least in the American military, at least in the army, we wonder all the gear that we are issued, is this really mission essential? Because sometimes uh, I really don't think it all is. Okay, I'll just be honest. Um, we feel, and that, and that's been a struggle with, with military, not only the American military, but militaries across the world is, are we weighing soldiers down too much? Are we giving them too much gear? Can they even maneuver? Can they run? You know, um, and it, it's a, it's a balancing act, you know, to do that. But the gear that God gives, the armor that God gives, it is mission essential and none of it is extraneous. Putting on the full armor of God allows you to stand. Put on the full armor of God. Notice, that this is a repeated command um, in this in this section. He says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the scheme of the devils, of the devil. And then he says um, in verse 13, for this reason, take up the full armor of God. It's repeated emphasis. It's a non-negotiable command. You must be prepared, Christian, to fight. Now let's look at some of this armor that God gives us. Let's look at verse 14. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. The belt of truth deals with the Christian who relies on the truth of God's Word to support him through life. Our lives should reflect the truth in how we lead our families, how we raise our children, how we interact with our neighbors. A belt surrounds a person's body, and we must surround ourselves with the truth of God's Word. Remember that the belt holds the scabbard. We must not rely, we must not only rely on the word of God during the fight. We must march into battle firmly in the truth and ready to draw upon the word of God at every moment. And that's what it means to surround yourself in the truth. It means putting scripture verses on the wall at your home, talking about them with your children, spending time in God's word, hearing from God, spending time in the fellowship of other believers, Spending time here in small groups, committing yourself to small groups, uh, committing yourself to Bible study and to uh, worship on Sundays. It means making it a part of your life and integrating God's Word, the truth, into your life. It means listening to Christian music, meditating on Christian music, meditating on Scripture. Warren Wearsby writes, a man of integrity with a clear conscience can face the enemy without fear. The girdle also held the sword. Unless we practice the truth, we cannot use the word of truth. Once a lie gets into the life of a believer, everything begins to fall apart. For over a year, King David lied about a sin with Bathsheba and nothing went right. Thomas Constable writes, People of that time did not normally wear a belt in the house, but when they faced some vigorous action such as running or when a soldier was preparing for battle, they raised their loose robes above the knees and fastened them in place with the belt. Thus, the girding of the loins meant preparation for physical activity 
or as here for engaging in conflict. When soldiers go out on a mission, uh, they make sure they have all their mission essential gear, body armor, helmet, combat boots, M4 with scope, M9 pistol, eye protection, belt, extra magazines, other essential equipment, and their squad leader checks them down and makes sure that they are properly outfitted and prepared. Soldiers must be completely ready for whatever the enemy will throw at them when they step onto the battlefield. So in the same way, God wants you, God wanted the Ephesians to be ready to prevail against the enemy. Make no mistake, you have an enemy. And the scripture tells us he roams around like a lion seeking to devour, 1 Peter 5.8. You must be prepared and you must be ready to stand over your adversary when the battle comes. And that's what Paul means when he writes, stand, therefore, with truth. And at the end of the battle, that you will still be standing. does not want you to be defeated, be overwhelmed and crushed. So every piece of equipment is essential. So don't gloss over any of these items that Paul mentions. We've already discussed the belt of truth and how important it is to surround ourselves with the truth of God's Word. The breastplate of righteousness symbolizes the life that we live. Either we live in the Spirit and we follow the path of righteousness, or we do not. It is a daily choice. I was talking to a soldier a couple days ago and was sharing the gospel with him, and and he said, I've made a profession of Christ, and I made a profession of Christ, and I said, Well, are you surrendered? Are you have you surrendered to God? And he said, Well, you know, I think. Some weeks I am, and some weeks I'm not. I said, it is a daily decision. It is not a week-by-week thing. It is, it is a, you commit to surrender to the King of Kings, and then you have to keep committing. You have to keep denying yourself and following Him. And that's what it means to don the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate covered the body from the neck to the waist, both front and back. So when Satan attacks Christians, the righteousness of Christ defends us. Our daily decisions, whether to follow Christ, either fortify us or leave us vulnerable. Paul uses the helmet of salvation analogy because salvation is a decision we make with our minds. We mentally choose to submit to Jesus as Lord, repent of our sins, and we consciously and continually place our trust in Him and His strength. Soldiers protect their heads and then work their way down, adding additional gear from there. Your feet must be sandaled with the gospel because God wants you to remember to carry out your mission. And that is advancing His redemptive plan. God intends to use you to spread the good news to every tribe, nation, and tongue. And to do this, you must share the gospel of peace. That's God's plan A for redeeming the nations, and there is no plan B. Notice how just verses before, if you go back in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul addresses children and fathers. Children, you have a responsibility to prepare for battle too. And you primarily do this by obeying your parents and the Lord and honoring your father and your mother. And fathers, note verses 4. Verse 4, God singles you out. You are responsible for the instruction your children receive. In verse 4, he says, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So fathers, are you teaching? 
your children to trust in the Word of God? Are you explaining to them God's Word, the sword of the Spirit? And are you explaining how God's Word and prayer are their greatest weapons? And they're going to help help you and help your children counterattack when the enemy attacks you. To use the sword of the Spirit effectively, you need to study it and you need to commit it to memory. So we must be mindful that we are at war. The enemy will attack your faith, your marriage, your family. You may already be fully aware of this reality based on the struggles that you're facing right now. But you must remember, though, that if you are in Christ, God marches into battle before you. I loved how praise team led us in the God of angel armies. That's so appropriate for this message. The God of angel armies marches into battle ahead of us. As in every battle, communication is key. So you must continually pray and rely on God and His strength to deliver the victory. So in addition to donning the mission essential gear, Christians also need to appreciate the nature of the struggle. And we see that in verse 12. The Bible says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Your struggle is cosmic and involves spiritual forces and agents at the earthly level and beyond. So you need to understand that your struggle is not merely against flesh and blood. There are demonic forces at work in this world. And we just see this on the news on a regular basis. School shootings in Texas. We see evil, committed atrocities across the world. People gas, innocent men, women, and children. So you need to understand that it's not a struggle you can win on your own. I remember a conversation Pastor Stephen and I had uh, with someone uh, several weeks ago. And basically he was telling us how he was he was going to defeat the struggle that he was facing. He was going to do it in his own strength. And we both told him, you're not going to defeat this struggle in your own strength. Felt like this guy was suiting up in a Power Rangers outfit, ready to go fight, you know, uh, some special operators or something. I mean, it was, that's what it looked like. That's what it felt like. Um, and that's, that's what it looks like when we try to go out in our own strength, you know. Nothing against the Power Rangers, but they're not real guys. So, that's how silly we look though if we try to fight in our own strength and in our own, um, you know, by, by trying to figure it out ourselves. So God, God doesn't want to discourage us, but He wants to sober us. You and I are commanded to march forward in faithful obedience. And we can rely on God's strength and not our own. And for me, that's comforting because I know my strength's not enough. And Paul's explanation of the struggle is a subtle reminder to depend on the Lord, not ourselves. But it's also designed to provide us hope. We are part of God's kingdom and we are advancing into the present darkness here on earth. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. As I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about this passage from the Old Testament that God brought to me this past week. I love this passage. In 2 Samuel chapter 10, uh, we don't have time to spend a lot of time on it today, but we see Joab, who's the commander of David's army. Um, he's preparing, uh, well, he's, he's really confronted with a very dire situation. Uh, the Israelites are completely surrounded by their enemies. And we see this in 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 9. Um, when Joab saw that there was a battle line in front of him and another behind him, he chose some of Israel's finest young men and lined up in formation to engage the Arameans. He placed the rest of the forces under the command of his brother Abishai. They lined up in formation to engage the Ammonites. If the Arameans are too strong for me, Joab said, then you will be my help. 
However, if the Ammonites are too strong for you, I'll come to help you. Be strong. Let's prove ourselves strong for our people and for the cities of our God. May the Lord's will be done. And what I love about this, this passage is I love Joab's faith. I love how Joab, he saw the struggle for what it really was. Uh, instead of losing heart or faith, he surveyed the situation. He developed a strategy to confront it. But he saw it clearly. He also realized he couldn't win this battle alone. He relied on his brother Abishai, and he relied on God. And Joab demonstrated how we need to be prepared to help our brothers and sisters in Christ and how we need to be prepared to receive help also. See, Joab's not arrogant. Joab's saying, hey, if they're overtaking me, you come help me. And if I see that they're overtaking you, I'm going to come help you. And there's parallels there for us and as we fight spiritual battles. We need one another. And there's going to be times, there's going to be situations, there's going to be struggles when we feel overwhelmed, when we start to feel crushed. But God has put people in our lives. He's put brothers and sisters there that we need to call upon and we need to have the humility to call upon. Now, Joab's the top commander in King David's army. I mean, this guy's a warrior of warriors, but he still recognizes he may need help and he's not willing to, uh, he's not too proud to accept it. So they face the struggle with courage and strength and they realize that ultimately God's power was going to be on display. I love how, how he ends it. He says, we are going to be strong for our people and the cities of our God because God has a stake in this. And may the Lord's will be done. Joab is trusting in the sovereignty of God. He's trusting in God's plan. And notice that he appeals to God's power when he says, may the Lord's will be done. That sounds like how Jesus taught us to pray, right? Your will be done. Your kingdom come. And, spoiler alert, God crushes the Ammonites and Arameans and delivers Israel. But go back and read it because it's a great, it's a great testimony of God's faithfulness. So Joab was confronted with a, a very difficult situation with a struggle. And so he had to, he was confronted with the faith choice. Is he going to be, is he going to respond in faith? Now going back to Ephesians chapter 6, let's look at the shield of faith. And notice how the shield of faith neutralizes Satan, Satan's attacks. We see this in verse 16. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Satan is going to attack you. He's going to attempt to deceive you. He's going to attempt to intimidate you, to discourage you. And he is going uh, to try to make you feel like you are going to fail. But the shield of faith is how we respond to the attacks and respond to the lies that Satan tells us. The shield of faith deals with practical day-to-day faith. It is moving forward, trusting in God's character. Remember, when Jesus confronted his, uh, conducted his ministry on earth, he healed the sick, he comforted the weary, he brought the dead back to life, he cast out evil spirits. This is a foretaste of what he's going to do when he returns, and this is the power that we have that he gives us. And so we can trust his character because we can trust what he has done, not only in our lives, but in other lives, his faithfulness. It is believing he fulfills his promises. But carrying the shield of faith means choosing to walk by faith. The distinguishing mark of God's people is that they consciously choose to live by faith. And we see this in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. So as the body of Christ, when you choose to follow Jesus, you carry a message that brings new life. You introduce 
healing to the brokenhearted. You bring a message of hope to the hopeless. You carry one another's burdens. You are a light to the world bringing hope into the darkness of someone's struggle. And the struggles are formidable, but we have direct access to the King of Kings through this next weapon that we see in this passage through prayer. God issues His fourth command to remind us of that reality. We see this in verse 18 through 20. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. (coughs) The last point, the takeaway I think we have here from this passage is prayer is... The pace plan. We need to execute prayer as the pace plan. You're like, what is the pace plan? Well, at least in the army, we have a pace plan for communication. Primary, alternate, contingency, emergency. And so the pace plan uh, can involve FM radio. It can involve JCR, which is kind of like a little computer terminal where we send messages back and forth. Uh, it, it may be a Harris radio, a satellite radio, or it could be a runner um, but we have a pace plan. We have multiple ways that we can communicate if one of our communication methods is, is jammed or, or not effective for whatever reason. But here's God's pace plan, okay? Are you ready? This is how we communicate with God through the battle. The primary, prayer. Alternate, prayer. Contingency, prayer. Emergency, prayer. It's pretty easy. Okay, you can remember that. All right? Prayer. All times in the Spirit. Now you may be thinking, I pray to God, but I'm not, I don't feel like I'm getting through. I feel like my communications are jammed. I don't feel like God's hearing me. So does God hear our prayers when we pray? Does He always hear our prayers? Well, the answer is no. Sometimes He does not hear our prayers. And let's look at some scriptures to see how we, not Satan, not the enemy, well, Satan has a part in it, but how we can sabotage our own pace plan, our own communications with God. In Isaiah 59, 2, the Bible says, But your iniquities are separating you from God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He does not listen. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 2 says, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with the weaker partners, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. The way you lead your families, that can hinder your prayer life. Your sin can hinder your prayer life. So confess it. Ask God to forgive you. Repent. Turn away. If you feel like you're not getting through to God, you need to examine your heart. You need to see if there's sin in your life that needs to be confessed and you need to repent and turn to God. God says you need to acknowledge and deal with the sin in your life and the sin in your horizontal relationships with other people because God's saying you can't follow me and carry that sin around with you. I'm not going to let you do it. You're either following me and trusting me, or you're a slave to that sin. If he, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John 1.9 Confession and repentance will open up the vertical lines of communication. And when we do that, God acts. Now God tells us that we need to pray for ourselves, but we also need to pray for others. Look at verse 19. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. But Paul has asked for intercessory prayer. As Brother Morris led our Bible study this morning, the men's Bible study, he talked about 
Now, Paul had a lot he could have been proud about. I mean, he was, you know, he's, he's the greatest missionary that Christianity has ever known. But he had a lot of struggles. And God provided a thorn in his flesh to help keep him humble. But notice that Paul is asking for help. Paul is asking for prayer. He's not too proud to ask for prayer. Prayer emboldens other Christians to share the gospel. Prayer helps us persevere and continue to obey Christ. Prayer is such a powerful weapon that we too, no, too often neglect. See, God doesn't give us just defensive gear. He gives us offensive gear. And the Word of God, prayer, that's how we counterattack. That's how we fight back. And notice that Paul doesn't ask for prayer for his health. Now, he probably could have. I mean, he's in prison. He's probably been beaten. He's probably got some lingering health concerns. Um, he's selective in his requests, and his most pressing desire is to advance the gospel. We should emulate Paul. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't pray about health care requests. Those are important. Um, and Paul says, and God says that we should pray with every request. But what I'm suggesting is if we aren't praying for lost people, if we aren't praying for the mission that God has set before us to go into all the world and preach the gospel and share the good news of Christ, then our priorities are probably out of whack, and we need to examine our priorities. Because that's our mission, and we need to stay focused on accomplishing our mission. I read a study conducted at a Baptist church recently where 26 individuals had experienced a crisis in their life in the past two weeks, and they were a part of the study. And these Christians came from all walks of life and were dealing with several different types of crises. Some, some were uh, dealing with death, some were dealing with loss of a child, marital infidelity, tragic circumstances um, across the board. And these researchers from Texas Christian University interviewed and studied these believers. They're from, they were from a Baptist church. And they came to some interesting conclusions, and I just wanted to share with you some of their findings. <clears throat> this was the first one that struck me, and I know it's probably kind of hard to read up there, so I'll, I'll read it here. The presence of others was one of the two or three most beneficial resources that helped people get through their crisis. Most people in the study gained emotional support and anchoring in their faith through the friendship and acts of kindness offered by friends, family members, and small groups. For some of the participants, the presence and involvement of family and friends provided the most important social support. For others, members of their congregation provided the greatest support. Almost all the participants reported some of both. And so what I what we can see from the study is that, that God is, you know, what he teaches us in his word is is true in life. I mean, we're all going to face crisis, but God gives us the people, He gives us the tools to deal with them, and He gives us the church. And that's why we have small groups. That's why we commit ourselves to living life side by side and having relationship with one another. Because the crisis is going to come, and when it comes, you're going to need to rely on your brothers and sisters. Like Joab was prepared to depend on his brother and vice versa. Here's another key finding from this study. Prayer was one of the most important sources of support for the subjects of this study. The second and third types of prayer experience, knowing that others were praying for them and having someone actually pray with them appeared to be most important. When everything was falling apart and these people could not figure out how to or if they could handle a situation, they at least were able to pray. 
It may be significant that the participants belong to a church that prays regularly and were themselves in the habit of prayer. May be significant. Interesting. The skill of prayer had been developed, been developed over many years and appeared to provide significant support and anchoring in their times of crisis. And I'll give you one, one last, uh, finding. Our interviewees were virtually unanimous in describing the benefits of prayer said on their behalf by others. Interviewees also expressed the feeling that they had grown closer to other people during the crisis, again, almost unanimously. This is why Paul's asking for prayer. Because it's effective, and it works. And he's saying, pray for me. I need your prayers. And I'm sure he's praying for the Ephesians. He's encouraging them. Prayer helps us carry one another's burdens. Choosing to pray and let people pray for you involves a faith choice. It takes faith to unload a burden onto another believer, and it takes faith to shoulder that burden. This is what Paul is doing in this passage. He's asking the Ephesians to help carry his burden of boldly sharing the gospel, despite persecution, despite his imprisonment, and they will do that by lifting him up in prayer. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, God says, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to carry one another's burdens because that's what Jesus did for us. He carried our burdens to the cross. And as disciples, as followers of Jesus, we are not above the Master. We must carry one another's burdens like He carried ours. As Paul gives his final instructions to the Ephesian Christians, this is how I believe Paul sees the Ephesians. They are focused on the mission. Spiritually, he sees them bold and strong as Roman soldiers. I think as Paul has traveled the Roman roads, spreading the gospel, he has probably walked by advancing Roman soldiers. And I think in some ways he visualizes the Ephesian Christians as these are soldiers going out into battle. And he wants them to be as tough and fearless as the Roman soldiers he has seen come to Christ through the Imperial Guard. I mean, Paul has seen some of these hardened, tough soldiers commit their lives to Christ, surrender their lives to Christ. So, in closing, how do we stand against the enemy? Number one, you can draw strength for the battle from the Lord and by His unlimited arsenal. The very first thing we saw in verse 10. Put your faith, put your strength in the Lord. Number two, you can stand against the enemy by donning the mission essential gear of God. All of it is essential. Number three, you can recognize the struggle is not what it seems on the surface and use this knowledge to grow your faith in God. You can respond like Joab did, respond in faith. Number four, you can execute prayer as your pace plan to persevere, to gain boldness, encourage other believers, and get divine help. You can prepare for your battle by asking God for His strength through prayer. You can recognize the comic the cosmic nature of your struggle and by interceding for your fellow warriors and praying. And you can move forward in faith because the Lord of hosts, the God of angel army, goes before you. Some of you may recognize you need to step out of faith and strap on your armor today. Maybe you need to surrender your life to Christ. You've been trusting in your own strength. Maybe you need to recognize or maybe you have recognized you need to trust in the one who made you, who loved you, who loves you and gave himself for you. And some of you are realizing you may need to deal with sin so that you can reestablish communication with God and you realize you need his strength to overcome sin in your life. 
you may, be, you may be convicted that you need to follow in faith to do that. You may, be, um, you may sense God leading you to become a member of the life and ministry of this church. So I want to invite you at this time to step forward in faith, to make that faith choice. Whatever God has put on your heart, or maybe it's for a friend or a family member, God has spoken to you today that you need to share this message and that you need to ask God to help you be bold like Paul did in sharing the hope that we have within us. And so wherever you are today, maybe there's fear that's enslaving you, it's keeping you from walking in freedom. Uh, if that's you, I want to invite you to come forward so that we can pray with you and encourage you today. And I'll ask uh, Brother Paul to lead us.